Welcome to Ignite Radio Live over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. You are with, well, in this moment, just Stephanie Schleter, but you are going to hear the infamous other half in a moment. We are featuring an interview that Greg was so blessed to do with our dear Andrew Reinhardt on his podcast, Physically Spiritual. They address the very important subject of fatherhood. So Greg has a little bit of experience with that. Again, we are blessed with seven children, six on earth and one in heaven, and they just really go there. So sit back and enjoy. God bless you. This series, I'd like to say I'm going back to school because I came into this podcast teaching a lot of stuff that I was living and and had learned and applied to my life. And then, um, but I'm recently a father. As I kind of was planning this, I was thinking of like, who, who has taught me how to pray with my family more than anyone else? And you're the first person that came to mind. Oh, I'm blessed by that. Um, so if people that don't know Greg, you can find him out. Uh, the nonprofit he works for and has found is Image Trinity, the Project Mass Impact. You can find him on Ignite Radio Live um, or the weekly uh, prayer guide that they put out for families called the Live It Guide. So we'll touch on all that stuff as we go through the episode. Um, but I wanted to put in the plug for those of you that are going to fall off before the end. <laughs> I love my family.us. How about that? You can proclaim it. It's a proclamation and a location. I love my family.us. Yeah, I love my family.us. Um, and I start with all my guests, just asking them what in their story led up to their mission. You know, this mission of yours, um, really to help the family be what it is, mm. to use John Paul II's language. Yeah. And and I would say especially, I think there's a, a tone in your work of like calling fathers forth to their like true vocation, and especially as a prayer leader of the family. Mm. Uh, so like what in your life brought you to that? Well, thank you. Uh, since we are entering into fall, I'm very moved by the Tolkien series, of course. You and I share a little mm. bit of a love. And my daughter, Catherine, and I, uh, family fun day would be the day after Christmas where I'd take the family to a movie and we'd pray in adoration and good snacks and that sort of thing. And um, when the kids were all in the house, one of them was were the Hobbit trilogy. So this mm. followed The Lord of the Rings, which I thought were very superbly done. And I'm more of a reader than I am a movie consumer. I thought Peter Jackson did a great job. When we got to The Hobbit and they were old enough to go in consecutive years, I have to say I was so tired on the 26th, I pretty much slept through those. It was like sleep time and I tried to watch. So fast forward, here we are, decade or whatever later. Now Catherine, who is 20 years old, she said, Dad, let's watch those again. I'll say they took a lot of license with The Hobbit, but I really enjoyed them. And I'm reading the book again, maybe the third or fourth time, to make the point and somewhat set the stage for your question. This odd guy with a pointed hat comes on the scene and breaks into this Hobbiton village and says, do you want to go on an adventure? And of course, uh, Bilbo doesn't quite know what to say, but before we know it, he has all these little creatures that show up and they're eating all his food, a little bit like parenthood, a little Mm. bit like fatherhood. Um, there's this invitation by this kind of mystical creature, I'll say the Trinity God invites us to go on an adventure. And in a sense, Bilbo, in the beginning, I note this, he struggles a little bit with, do I want to just remain lethargic? Do I want to remain just contained? Or am I made for an adventure? Am I made for something greater? Am I made to, um, I don't know, that there's a horizon out there that I haven't quite touched? And Gandalf unfolds that and it begins sort of the analogy of little children. We have seven children, one in heaven. Anyway, so um, to answer your question, so going back in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, I'm one of seven children, and this would have been in the 70s, uh, very devout parents, very Catholic faithful. In fact, I like to say my dad even did that peculiar thing that was uncommon among Catholics of leading us in prayer from the heart. Mm -hmm. Now, he did it as someone as a German, but he was, he was a man who I, both alive, greatly admire as somebody who said, do we, do we own the words that we're praying? So start mm-hmm. there. I inherited a sense from my dad and my mom, but certainly my dad of, don't just say the Our Father. Don't just say the Mass. Don't just say the Rosary. And it would annoy my mom sometimes, but he would slow it down and say, listen, think about what we're saying. Our Father. There's that little skit, the Our Father skit, which is kind of not just cute, but insightful. Am I really attuned that God is hearing me? Start there. To be mindful that in this very moment, God holds me in existence. He's listening. He cares. My father, who is an icon of the Father in heaven, is it's a harrowing thing to be a dad, and he has his mistakes, as we all do. We, we are very imperfect representations, but he imparted on us a sense that God is present with us. All right, so I'm the second oldest six boys and a girl, and as we entered into those teen years, 
um, we were no longer, if you will, those six little ducklings sitting in the front pews that my parents were so proud of. An older brother started making decisions that were, I should say, kind of shameful and casting a light of, of less than positive regard for our family. Mm-hmm. And that can conflicted, I will say, with this sense of we're the Schleter family, you carry the Schleter name. So simultaneously, I'm getting this sense that faith is not just a status. Mm-hmm. It's not just how we want to appear. It's who we fundamentally are. And I would say there's maybe a little bit of that pride in those generations of parents who loved God, but there was a sense of how we appear to others. There was a disconnect between how we presented ourselves and who we really are. So I was kind of taking note and desiring, shall we say, integrity. Um, As my elder brother was making decisions, what happens when your hero older brother does that? The younger brothers started to follow, and before you knew it, our family kind of found themselves in a bit of chaos. And I saw this spreading throughout my peers. I saw them making choices, a little bit like the Pied Piper, who plays this beautiful sound, and we have these appetites for, for let's face it, intimacy, for the good, and the enemy lies to us. He plays a sound that is attractive, and I saw my peers, I saw my family begin to follow that, and I, I saw the results, I saw the consequences. Mm. So, via negativa, by the negative way, I saw the the effects, the destruction, the brokenness as a result of choosing very clearly, whether you're agnostic, atheist, Buddhist, whatever, whatever you are, hobbit, you know, you, you make decisions and based upon the truth of, the, of your nature in God, it's either going to approximate goodness, wholeness, peace, or devastation and destruction. So without that ever being proclaimed to me, the gospel was very real in the drama, in the adventure of we were presented with a truth. Mm-hmm. I often think of Cecil B. DeMille, the great producer of the Ten Commandments, and in a speech he said, we really can't break the moral law, the Ten Commandments. We can only break ourselves against it. Mm-hmm. So my observation in the early years, I became aware of that. And I guess I also became aware that, you know, if the enemy is working so powerfully to cause good people, my family, my friends to make these choices and to see those results. Um, there must be a good that is worth pursuing. It isn't just, and this is, was a little bit of a conflict for me of, um, I don't just want to be angry at the world, angry that the enemy is so formidable, which I was often in high school years. But what, what is the, what is, why am I focusing on the absence? Because evil is an absence of good. Mm. Why am I fixated on the dark that seemed to be surrounding me? I get that that's part of it, but what is the good that my soul is meant to consume? And that led me on a path through high school years. And for me, by God's grace, the biggies I really didn't partake of, didn't get drunk, didn't have sex, praise God, until merit wedding night, um, and was very passionate about wanting to find ways to communicate that good. Mm. Um, and I'll say that that journey led through high school, through college at Miami of Ohio, Miami Right to Life, founded a, a coalition of 23 campuses, which was very mm. Christian, was the faith, was woven into our movement. Um, and again, if we don't get at identity, uh, you know, below, praise God for Dobbs, praise God for overturning Roe. Um, but the battle doesn't even just continue at the states. It continues with this journey that I experienced, awakening people to their core identity. In fact, I would say this boldly, the last three years, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, we tend to categorize people, set that aside. It's a portrait of a fatherless society. I'm confident if you did interviews, if you did interviews with those who perpetrated maybe the the violence or the anger or the hatred that we're seeing there, transgenderism, all these sorts of things, you're going to see a child who felt rejected, who's angry because of what was not provided in the home through a father and a mother, a husband and a wife. So all those elements, bottom line, has led me to recognize, wow, we are of the fabric of the Trinity. We have the fabric of the Trinity that it's not just me and God, that God fashioned this appetite to seek him in community and with others. And that's where it gets difficult mm-hmm. because families will find it easy, men, to break out on a Sunday morning and gather with other men and pray. That man is you. Women, the same thing. More fearful than running into a burning building on 9-11 to save those who we don't even know for a man is to enter into his own home, go eyeball to eyeball with his kids and to have the heart of the father and be attuned to what is moving this child of mine. And not just because we should or duty, it should start there maybe, but give me the desire and awareness that this adventure, this is the adventure to have the heart of the father, to be attuned and look in the eyes of a child and your spouse and ask what's going on there. And can I behold it? Can Mm -hmm. I, can I be a steward of it? Can I care for it? Can I nurture it? Can I open up their horizon to who they are and to recognize that landscape of their adventure? That's what I mean by this Trinitarian nature 
that we do it together, that there's mutual self-gift going on there. And a father is uniquely called to facilitate that, to invite, as from the earliest years, our kids to go in the woods. And I'd bring a camera and we like make up these little stories and adventures. Or in the house, we'd write stories. Or when we went to bed, my kids would say, dad, tell the story of whatever. I didn't even remember that I told this amazing story, you know, I was in the darkness lying on their bed type of thing. But kids are fashioned for adventure because we're fashioned for adventure. And a father is a bit of that storyteller, make it happen, open up their horizon to look at the world, as Frank Sheed says, to see it God bathed and to help them see that what they're reading about and hearing about God is Lord, he's overall, he has a plan for you. And how can we together live this awesome adventure together? I just fire hosed you. You got to tell the audience. Greg is a fire hose. He just doesn't stop. They already get it. But (laughs) I love that. One, the providence you started with the Hobbit. So my wife and I, uh, we read books together, Mm. like out loud together. Mm -hmm. And then we'll often, if there's movies on the books, we'll watch the movies afterwards. So we literally just finished reading the Hobbit and then Mm. watching the Hobbit movies like a couple months ago. Um, So starting with that was so interesting. And I love that, that image of, Bilbo Baggins in his comfortable life, and all of a sudden these little people show up yep. and just you know, they're making a mess of things. They they both create chaos, but then they also set it right again. Mm-hmm. Because I think what it's proposing is there was something disordered about, even though there's all this external order in Bilbo's life, there was still something disordered at the core. Mm. Right. So so after the there and back again, the adventure, he's there's a new like synthesis, you know, there's something even better because it's happened. And, and that happens at the very beginning because they have this big crazy meal. They eat all his food. They make a mess. But then they also clean the house. And by the time they leave Bag End, you can't even tell they've been there. Right. Other than the fact the pantry's empty. It's amazing. But he can't eat the food anyways because he's going to be on an adventure. So when you said that, I was just thinking of like, um, in my generation, so many young couples, I think, see kids like Bilbo saw the hobbits on day one. Very or well saw the dwarves yeah. on day one. It's like, we're going to have to deal with these little people who are going to ruin our life. Like we're no longer going to be able to go out to eat. We're no longer going to be able to go on vacations. We're not going to be able to go to that yoga class anymore. Like whatever it is, but we understand children primarily as a disruption. Um, and yeah, it's going to disrupt the heck out of your life, but it's also going to set you right. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to have this more internal transformation. And then hearing like your story of how your parents gave you this foundation of both teaching the faith, but also an example in their own way, in their own limited way. But that gave you a, a place by which to understand the world around you, right? That you, you saw the brokenness in the world and sure you were drawn into some of it. But on the other hand, you had that foundational perspective to then step back and say, look, like these people are, like, this isn't good for them. So it's not going to be good for me. Mm-hmm. The via negativa, the the learning from other people's mistakes, or maybe learning more quickly from your mistakes because you've seen how other people have forged that path already. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then drawing that full circle to then what you shared of kind of looking at the wider culture, how you know who knows what's going on in people's lives, but we see this brokenness expressed in really chaos mm. that comes into our culture, different forms of confusion different forms of pain that people are expressing externally. Um, and, and you know that the roots go deep in their life, you know, all the way back into the foundations of, of parenthood, of love, of attachment, of connection. Um, yeah. So as you explain all that, I think it, it illustrates to one, your story, but also I think the passion in your mission, mm. and like you said, image Trinity, the name of the nonprofit is the idea that we're, we're designed in God's image and likeness and God's a, a communion of persons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we are in God's image as a communion of persons. Mm-hmm. And that's most powerfully imaged in the family. Um, but that's like, that's some real high theology and the average person <laughs> hears that and it might sound good, but it's like, what the heck do I do with that? What does it look like? What how does, does that specify look like? relationships? Yeah. Right? How the does plan. that live? What, yeah. what does that mean about tomorrow? Yeah. You know, like how should, t- if I know that, how should tomorrow look different than today? Mm. Um, and, and people don't just need theories. They need like real practical applications yeah. that were meant to learn it. I think because mom and dad were an example of it, you know, and you got that mm. to some, to some level in your life. But mm-hmm. the average person that converts to Christ today 
Mm-hmm. They're coming out of the chaos and they have no clue, you know, so we need, we need to give them tools. So I'm, I'm curious now, like, as you're moving into adulthood, going through college, um, like how did the Lord continue to lead you in a way that helped you really craft mm. what you're about now? Awesome question. Um, so I would say I really accepted earnestly Christ mm. as evangelicals. It's a good question to ask, and it may not be a moment for most of it. It's an ongoing, ever-deepening encounter, an ever-deepening personal relationship with Jesus yeah. because we are limited and finite on this side, but with this capacity. So second grade, amazing story. I won't go into it, but I'd accepted Christ. You know, mm. I, Briefly, I had I'd stolen something from a store. Guilt was overwhelming me. I stole $6 of my grandparents, these special stamp $2 bills. And it was all along the line of, of in the garden, right? I saw this attractive apple. It was in the store. Then Kmart was like the modern day Walmart. And, uh, and every step along the way of fighting with my conscience, wanting this thing, battling it out right up to the register. Mm-hmm. And um, then guilt overwhelming me and saying, okay, Jesus, I can't restore this. Like there was a fundamental sense of I need you. So number one is this, I think, a, a perspective of I radically need Jesus. Mm-hmm. Like I radically need his grace and every day, every moment. And I heard the, I remember that thesis, by the way, early in marriage, traveling across uh, Chicago and hearing a radio station, Catholic radio station, and somebody very respectable, a man, they're talking pornography. Mm-hmm. It was so refreshing to hear him say, you will not win this battle if you do not wake up with an awareness of your radical reliance on Christ and with saying, I will the good, I mm. choose to will the good. So I think at the heart, you know, through college, you asked the question to kind of bring it back, I think is an awareness that Ephesians 6, 12, we very much are on a landscape of good and evil playing out. Now, mm. God is Lord. He is overall. I love Ripperger's insight that God allows evil on a very short leash. It begs the question, Why? Well, it's a mystery to a significant extent, the mystery of sin and that temptation. But we can know this, that he allows it for the purpose of forging us in virtue. So that vision helped me in high school and college to understand the things playing out in the world around me, to radically rely on Jesus. I needed a prayer life. Like I I couldn't just fake it. I couldn't just have this ethereal, mystical thing. I had to concretely lean into my schedule and say, I'm going to make this like a thesis statement. Anybody who's written high school or college, the thesis statement defines the paper. If you get distracted, you, something else happens, then day you come back to the thesis statement. If we're not making that declaration and that encounter time, more than just, I pray, the Regnum Christi daily meditation, which I do love, but if I'm not allowing myself to be encountered by God mm. and encountering him such that I, can't, I know I can't go without it the next day, I really haven't encountered God. Because when you've encountered God, you can't not do it because you, you know that it's streams of living water that flow into your day. Very practical. I mean, it sounds mystical, but it's very practical. And it does mm-hmm. take, you've had other programs, I'm sure, that talk about prayer. It does take patience. It does take uh, allowing everything around us to subside and to believe in the core of our being is something, a capacity to know and behold God that infuses us. It fills us with, with light. It fills us with a sense of joy. Now, there's darkness. There's the Mother Teresa thing. There's the St. John of the Cross. Got it. But when you've encountered God in that way, it, it's formed in your character in a certain way that causes you to look at everything in a certain way. And, and you know that, you know, you don't want to hurt this person that you deeply, profoundly love, three persons. So say at college, temptations. I'm a thoroughbred, all-American male, definitely prone to that realm. And by the way, if you're a Christian, you're going to be all the more prone to lust because it's, it works in the realm of the imagination mm-hmm. and a sort of spiritual attunement. You're going to struggle more it needs to be more anchored all the more in Christ. So to, to, to direct that compass due north, because you get the magnets then. You understand yeah. that they're, so those concepts, real things like a magnet, where it's made to point due north, but the magnets around it pull it in different directions. You see attractive young ladies in my case or whatever, but you realize God's put this aptitude in me, but there's so yeah. much more to it. So it formed in me at an early age, I'd say in college, this thing that we pass along to our kids. You know, there are the three attractions. Um, all of which are necessary, but none of which are sufficient to exclusively date. Yeah. So there's the spiritual, there's the personality, and there's the physical attraction. All of those are necessary, but none of them are sufficient to say, I'm excluding all other people of consideration because this is the one God has made clear to me, and I'm at a point of intentionally, sacredly pursuing this with the end of marriage in mind. Um, so 
that became clear to me in college. I remember kind of going on a dating fast, mm-hmm. um, largely because the the voices and the image and the representation around that was so false. And I saw so many people wounded from it. Yeah. And I think it was an occasion, quite frankly, to recover this, this transcendent love with God, to anchor it. I didn't diminish my, in fact, I think in a lot of ways, just candidly, I became more attractive hmm. to a lot of the women on campus because they, they trusted me. I think they just came to understand, hey, I'm not, I never announced I'm going on a dating fast, but I think they saw that there was a capacity in me to love them and appreciate them without a romantic end in mind. Yeah. Just something happened there that demonstrated to me a kind of strength and I became kind of a, a trusted confidant. So there was, a, there was an anchoring thing that went on in that period of time. You are listening to a very special program of Ignite Radio Live featuring Andrew Reinhardt's interview of Greg Schleter on the subject of fatherhood. To hear the full episode and other great episodes, go to IgniteRadioLive.com. And as always, we warmly welcome your partnership with this very important movement at ILoveMyFamily.us. That idea of... of one, well, just how to date, <laughs> but two, I think what, what you're expressing is like the the foundation of friendship. Um, I think a lot of Christian men with a very like clear idea of courtship, there can be a struggle of um, we want to enter into the relationship with like a clear end in mind, like we're dating for marriage. But on the other hand, it can become a bit of like a math equation, <laughs> right? So I, I think it, what you're uh, what you experienced there in college, like this experience of, because of the way that you were approaching relationships and actually taking dating off the table for a while, you were actually able to enter into deeper, authentic friendship mm-hmm. with the women you were surrounded with. Absolutely. I could say another piece to that is a sense of joyful self-sacrifice conforming mm-hmm. to Christ. Yeah. Like there was just a kind of a, almost like a switch. It wasn't that sudden for me, but there was a sense over time of a joy of giving my life, whatever end, whether it Mm -hmm. meant I was going to be married or be a priest or whatever the case may be. Emerging in me was a sense of seeing the impact. We all desire to have an impact. At the end of the day, we desire to know that we made a meaningful difference in somebody's Mm -hmm. life. That can't be done artificially. It can't be done through techniques or, you know, the latest, greatest insights from Covey Maxwell Collins. The core of it is my nature is in Jesus, and I want to give of myself for the good of the other person, whatever that takes. So I think with like the pro-life movement and our team of people, we, the Trinitarian thing here again with the Eucharist, I'd say it was a sense of a holy community that flowed from holy communion. Hmm. We didn't have that great witness on our campus in those years. We didn't have focus. We didn't have vibrant youth ministry. There wasn't Damascus. There weren't a lot of these insights of, of what that meant, but we were kind of discovering we want to live Jesus as the early apostles, as a community that is really willing to give everything out of love, particularly for those who might disagree with us. Yeah. And so we saw that actually reverberate throughout the campus of Miami in very significant ways. We had these all-hall programs that that were occasions to talk about the pro-life movement, and everybody's attuned to sex. You say sex, they're going to go to a program. But then when they saw some people be really candid and honest about it and ask honest questions, <clears throat> I can still picture the tears and the awakening and the transformation when you spoke to hearts that really connected with that desire for intimacy and how the lies, the Pied Piper image again, many of them following that sound that's been leading them off a cliff. Hmm. So that kind of forged in me, I want this. Like, yeah. I, I want more of this with my life. I want to be forged by this. And then I'd say, you know, so seminary later on through college, through um, going to Human Life International as a director of communications and a lot of amazing things happened there. Um, seminary, I'm sorry, Steubenville was an occasion following Medjugorje um, where I found myself really attuned to this God is with us, whatever anybody wants to say. I mean, the public revelation of the church, another conversation, another time, but God gives us the gift of his mother and the saints yeah. and to be mindful that he is truly with us and we need to be open to that. Then it was uh, Steubenville uh, evangelizing many places around the country and Light and Life Foundation. And mm-hmm. um, and then ultimately seminary was an occasion through which that yes was purified. Mm-hmm. I was willing to give up something that I really th- thought innate. And this was a key thing too, to understand this is John Paul II, that this desire, this subjective part of me rightly discerned corresponding to the objective 
is a, is something that evokes joy. Mm. It isn't this, I give up that subjective thing. If it's rightly ordered to the objective, this truth mm. of, of giving myself to God, I saw myself mm. in seminary studying theology of the body, that God was calling me to marriage and family life. Mm. And then simply put, with Stephanie, it was a sense of, I'm inviting you, God's saying, to give your life away completely, 100%, mm. whatever it takes. Your money's not your own. Your time's not your own. Your energy's not your own. Your resources are not your own. Your sleep's not your own. With each child following marriage, it was simply a punctuation mark at the end of that sentence. Yeah. My money's not my own. My sleep's not my own. My time's not my own. And then it was really the sense of, this is that adventure hmm. to be made holy, right? To become a saint. God is giving me this tremendous gift of this woman my beautiful wife, Stephanie, and the discernment leading up to that and, and, and through it, to give myself away, to conform myself to Christ. And Lord, help me recognize any way in which there's selfishness, that I want to preserve my money, my sleep, my time, that I'm not saying, I love that Paul statement, you know, I'm being poured out like a libation. Mm. Like that's an image of fatherhood. Yeah. And not a, not this kind of a I don't know, foreboding image. It's Paul speaking with a sense of delight and joy. Like I'm in conformity to Jesus. I bear the wounds of Christ on the inside of a lover. That's this sense of, and it is very male, the sense of poured outness. That's when we're, we're living our lives to its full. When we feel like I am laying my life down to you. Tell me what movie, um, uh, you know, what hero story is without the sacrifice of the hero laying down his life. We're drawn to that. And I would submit to you that it's not just um, a sense of sitting in the seats and spectating. There's something that's appealing to our innate nature of, I want I want a context to pour myself out. People get that in the theater. The movie wouldn't work if they didn't get that. The second step, and I think this was happening to me in high school, college, kind of bringing it back, was an awareness that this drama is the cosmology, is the Tolkien, the C.S. Lewis, revealing our human nature. Like this is our landscape. We're being given an opportunity in relationships in marriage and family to be the hero. Yeah. To lay our lives down, to be a libation, to be poured out for the good of other. And that is the currency of existence. That is the yeah. blood that flows through existence. And fathers are uniquely given that opportunity to be the one to lay down their lives, to do that daily in small ways. Dishes at the sink, you know, it's it may be these big dramatic ways you see in the movies, but you know it's not. It's my wife's been with my children and we homeschool and all that that entails. And I see dishes in the sink. It's Maybe I'm busy, she's busy too. Maybe that's me, you know? Maybe the floor needs to be swept or whatever. That's me. Maybe ordering this environment or this atmosphere, another subject, but I think ordering is definitely a key thing of the kingdom building. Mm. I need to take that initiative and make that happen. Maybe I need to say, hmm, I'm going to really pray, Lord, reveal to me where my wife's at emotionally. Yeah. I'm going to get outside my space. And by the way, that's where real freedom happens. I'm going to get outside my own worries, concerns of work and what's happening there, the world. Lord, attune my heart to Stephanie. What is she experiencing? Supernaturally, make it known. I can perceive what's going on, but we're spiritual beings too. What a tremendous gift to live our baptism, our sacramental life, when it takes in that personalistic dimension, when we experience God's heart beating in us, and how can I act on this? It may be a word. Honey, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. What can I do for you? You know, a hug, a touch. But she knows that you are about her world. She knows mm-hmm. that you're about, you know, sacrificing for her. What an opportunity. I mean, that that's the hobbit. I mean, that's the Lord of the Rings. That is incarnate in male and female, husband and wife in marriage. And a father is meant to be uniquely attuned to that mm-hmm. and to set the stage to make it happen. Yeah. As you're going through that kind of later part of your formative years, I might say, college, early kind of missions that you were working in, time in the seminary. I'm curious that like you had a really strong foundation in your Catholic home. Um, but on the other hand, like who were the men that came into your life during that season that like continued to get forge those examples for you? Awesome. Because I know in my life, like my parents are wonderful, but they're also limited, mm. right? So there's other men that, pe- that the Lord brought into my life that gave me examples. Um, you're one of them you know, that, that have formed what my fatherhood would look like and have kind of filled that father gap in my life mm. to, to sort of more perfectly image God's fatherhood for me. Mm. So I was just, as you were talking, I was curious of like, who were those other father figures through this season? Great question. And I will say that growing up, there was a dearth. Mm. I mean, I loved priests that we knew as a family and had in our home. Yeah. 
uh, I can't, if you ask the question, whom did I see that when they celebrated the mass or by their ministry, I had a hundred percent confidence they believe and are passionate about what they're professing on the altar or other men they're, they're going after it. Yeah. I mean, in safe ways. So tech program was in, in green Bay and I participated in that in high school. Our family brought it by the way to Cleveland and then father Larry and my wife before I knew her brought it to Erie PA. So tech was a great program that fostered. Mm -hmm. In fact, I'd like to see it, get it going again in this region and see it intergenerational, which is really a powerful experience because it did provide a community and a sense of mission. Mm -hmm. um, and that was sort of a context where I felt edified by on those events, um, peers, young brothers in Christ. And I'd say when I was at Miami of Ohio, Campus Crusade for Christ brothers. Now, mm. some of them I found out later are Catholic. I, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, but they had their, they were passionate about what they were about, right? Mm. I mean, I believed, they really believed it meant something for, you know, flourishing for John 10, 10, that you might live the abundant life. Cause I saw the joy in their eyes yeah. and that I needed to see that. And I remember my mom, you know, worried that I'm not, I'm going to leave the Catholic church because I would talk to her about this joy and I'd say, where is this in the Catholic faith? I don't see this at St. Mary's downtown Miami or any other place. And she was a little worried that I was going to leave. Listen, I believe thoroughly the sacraments in 2000 years, don't, don't get me wrong, but mom, isn't what I'm experiencing from them, as Gustin would say, all that is true is ours. Isn't the Catholic church meant to be alive and full of the Holy Spirit and manifesting these signs and wonders that we read throughout the lives of the saints? Where is that? Yeah. I had a yearning for that. And so I saw, unfortunately, it, it evidenced more by the non-Catholic brothers mm -hmm. and sisters, but we kind of brought that into our kind of pro-life community circles. Yeah. And I would want to point out a significant moment. Um, after this tremendous adventure of four years at Miami, I was only there three years, graduated in three years. Um, the last two weeks, we met at a place called The Sundial. We invited, because we were really connected then to the Christian community. I was blessed to be kind of one of the leaders. And we kind of had a call that went out, didn't have cell phones in those days, um, to meet after supper, so like it was six, every night the last two weeks of the school year, my senior year, we had 200 people that gathered in this around this kind of pagan sundial, but guitars, praise and worship, just praying from the heart. This capped off three years of wonderful brothers and sisters that, that formed a mindfulness that this is where God has called us to, to live this and to make it happen in the campus. Mm -hmm. After one of these nights, Rich comes up to me, not Catholic, Pentecostal, another guy, Asa, hey, have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And I'm just learning the Catholic faith truthfully. Campus Crusade um, impelled me to understand how our faith is deeply and truly anchored in Scripture. Another mm -hmm. conversation, another time, but it edified me. And they respected that I was beginning to know my Catholic faith and that I loved everything that they're about and affirmed it. So Rich and Asa, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? I'm like, we believe in that. We understand it. We think that it came through the sacraments sacrament of certainly baptism and confirmation in a, in a certain full way. Um, but let's do it because I'm, I'm open to all that God wants to give your brothers in Christ. Let's do it. So we went back to one of their apartments and these two guys, love of God just pouring through them in their mm. eyes, were given a special attunement to my soul. Mm. Like they were aware of qualities in me that there's no way they could have known. And they prayed over me. And, you know, the gift of tongues whether one has it or knows they have it or to me is secondary to the fact that one knows in their heart that there's these, this joy and this delight when you really know that you're loved and it just breaks forth like streams of living water and giving voice to it is this, I think, gift of tongues. Laughter is a similar thing. Yeah. One might say, well, what does laughter mean? I don't get it. You're still going to laugh because there's a joy in you. Tongues are a little bit like that. So that night, it happened. I mean, I just, this tongue came out of me and, um, and there was just such a joy, a celebration, a delight. And from that mm. moment on the next day, I guess I have to share this story. So those are brothers that modeled for me, the kingdom is among us yeah. with signs and wonders and it's real. And God wants to work. He wants to work these wonders. The next day, one of the young ladies were at lunch and one of these young ladies who I sought at these gathering events, um, was sitting across from me and just, Hey, it's lunchtime. Sit, can I sit with you? Great. We're talking about the day. It's the end of the school year, end of my career here. And uh, there's this little awareness in my mind of something that happened in her life. And it's mm. kind of dark. And she's talking and I'm just kind of pushing it aside because this is new to me. But mm. it's becoming louder and louder. I'm beginning to see images. I'm beginning to see something that happened to her of a very abusive nature in her life. And she's talking, right? So I'm hearing her, but on another level, I'm aware of something going on here. I had to stop and I said, I'm sorry. I'll just say, Laura, Laura. I'm sorry. I just got to say this. If I'm wrong, forgive me. Did this happen? Is it with some description in years and what went on and some persistence? I said it in maybe a minute. 
She went white as a ghost. And then she just stepped away from the table and she could tell she was trying to keep it together. She left the building and she was just tears streaming down her face. I'm sorry. I, I didn't know what was going on really ultimately. And she said, you don't realize that two weeks ago, I was saying this happened in my life. These people in my family, this is what happened. And I was saying to God, I'm in such pain and anguish. I couldn't share it with anybody that I was going to commit suicide unless I said, if you don't give me, reveal yourself to me in some way. My mom is a Christian counselor, Catholic counselor, in that very moment, able to pray with her and connect her to my mom. That launched a whole horizon of we are in a, a world where we're operating, yes, in the flesh, but the flesh reveals eternal realities. We are mm. seated in heaven, Scripture says. We are participating. To look through that lens was the mark, I think, that really kind of affected my life in a profound way. To look at the world, again, as she'd said, God bathed resulted in a lot of miracles and manifestations, all for the purpose of what? Affirming that God made us for himself, desires this intimacy, desires our wholeness, which is what your program is magnificently all about, a wholeness body and soul wholeness, that we're really mindful of whose we are, not just who we are, but whose we are. And, and the, the game changes when that happens. Yeah, It just changes. Marriage changes. Family changes. The meeting in the parish of the diocese and when they ask what they're about, it just changes when you know God is Lord of all. He loves us. He made us for himself. And he equips us to be instruments of communicating that truth. And he wants to perform signs and wonders. Not always. Hmm. They're always happening. But he wants to do that for what? The purpose of opening our hearts and minds to know that he's present. You are listening to a very special program of Ignite Radio Live featuring Andrew Reinhardt's interview of Greg Schleter on the subject of fatherhood. To hear the full episode and other great episodes, go to IgniteRadioLive.com. And as always, we warmly welcome your partnership with this very important movement at ILoveMyFamily.us. In your story, I love that those people that fathered you weren't really that much older than you. You know, they, they, they were maybe just a couple steps in front of you on the journey, but they still offered something to you that filled that space. Um, and I think that's important for people to know that like, you don't have to be the age of somebody's dad to offer, you know, something of the father's love to them. You just have to be willing to step in with some courage into their life and offer what you have. That's right. Um, so I love that dynamic. And then, um, you know, talking about this gift of life in the spirit, the catechism says that the, that the same grace for the apostles on the day of Pentecost is the grace we receive in the sacrament of confirmation. I love that. But how many people's confirmations looked anything like Pentecost? Mm. You know, so, so I think when people use this term baptism in the Holy Spirit, they're referring to, um, the, so in, in our baptism, in our confirmation, we receive a grace that's permanent in us. That's why we're not rebaptized or reconfirmed. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, the church isn't saying, well, it didn't happen when you were baptized, tough luck. It didn't happen when you were confirmed, tough luck. But that, that grace persists. And then really every day you have access to it anew in your Christian life and Christian commitment. So I think there's special moments of, especially what we see in the scriptures being prayed with by others. Mm. I think that, that give us a deeper access to that deposit of grace that the Lord gives us in the sacraments. Mm. I know that was my experience also in college, experiencing a baptism in the Holy Spirit for the first time. Um, is that, it, and, and what I saw in my friends who had that experience too, was it drew them deeper into the sacraments, mm. you know, cause I had the gift to experience it in a Catholic context. Mm -hmm. um, so my, my friends who were experiencing the gifts of the spirit, the charism, speaking in tongues, prophecy, prayer ministry, elements of the charismatic renewal, they were drawn all the more into the life of the sacraments. Mm -hmm. They were the ones filling up the holy hours for the perpetual adoration chapel. They were the ones at daily mass. They were the ones going to confession every week. Um, and when I experienced that, I realized that it, it all kind of went together. Absolutely. The same way that you would experience yeah. that, that this really needs to be in our faith and it was lacking and you were and drawing it in, in your life. Um, and I love that because I think in many ways, what I've experienced is you draw all that into your family life. Mm. You know, that isn't something for the men's group. That isn't something for the prayer meeting. That isn't something that was neat and happened in college and now isn't a part of my life anymore. You know, all those things are part of, of your fathering. 
you're, you know, the vision coming off of Crescio or Chirp, mm. um, Sacramentalia, I love that you pronounce that because that is the, that is the source and summit. Yeah. We say that word easily, but think about it. It's the source from which all grace flows. It's the peak that we go to and it, it influences and it's str- and strengthens everything that we're speaking about. Mm-hmm. In fact, this simple phrase, when evangelicals discover their Catholic roots and Catholics rediscover their evangelical wings, will be one church lifting this planet to heaven. Mm-hmm. It's a Catholic vision. Mm-hmm. When, so in a sense, when Catholics recover from their amnesia, and reflect on their history and go deeper in what it means to be Catholic. They're going to be deeper in the sacraments. They're going to have this, you know, I love the Dietrich von Hildebrand's liturgy and personality. To imitate and glorify God, the Mass is amazing and holy and beautiful, and it invites us to bow and to worship in such a beautiful way. But it's evidenced receiving it in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gifts and the manifestation. It's both. Transcendent, beautiful liturgy and the sacraments that is evidenced of having been received by this um, overflow of the gifts. Yeah. So um, to the point of family, uh, fathers, you get to design your home. In fact, you're, you are appointed and anointed to make your home that place that you wanted yours to be. Hmm. You know, as you admire and look at other things, it's not enough just to admire. We're called to emulate. Yeah. And maybe ask the question, a good question is, what keeps you from doing so? You know, what wounds stand in the way? What brokenness? Maybe your spouse is holding you to a standard. You feel you got to stay in that mold. You know, I love that image of, um, of the flea. You know, a friend of mine, you've heard this story, but, you know, a PhD in fleas. I don't think you could get a PhD in fleetum, but he had a PhD in fleas. And he said, you know, Greg, you know, you put a flea in a container and they jump outside of that, but you cover that container. Unless it's a super flea, it's not going to kick off that top of the container. But for just 10 minutes, then you take the top off. Even though the flea, is capable of jumping, as they say, the phrase they would use, for the rest of its life, it will only go as high as that container. Hmm. How many of us have had somebody put a top on the container that we have because of our childhood, because of wounds, because of something somebody said or did, and our mindset and our hearts that has kept us confined? Well, Christ right now, I believe, is speaking to all of us in the Holy Spirit and saying, I made you for greatness. Visualize your marriage and your home, not in what you inherited with a top on, how has God made us to be? What if, you know, pick your athlete of choice, Michael Jordan, Cam, an old guy, right? Oh no, just do layups, man. You're only capable of layups. You know, it's all you inherited. It's all maybe your dad lets you do. It's all your coach lets you do, but he's got the Michael Jordan awesomeness in him. That's the image and the message to every single dad that's hearing this right now, that you are made for greatness. You're made for Michael Jordan, ask basketball court of life in your home greatness. What does that look like? Take time with your wife or by yourself and say, God, what is the vision that you have for my marriage and my home? How do you want me to know you? So again, back to that personal prayer time to know the dignity of our relationship with him that would overflow into a home and make commitments. You know, look at, you know, a year ago I was in a hospital, you know, some would say close to death. In fact, a doctor said, you know, we're going to let you home so you can go die. Hmm. I mean, I get tears when I think about that. And that's maybe how bad it was. Um, I was peaceful. I was prayerful and I was peaceful. My wife was profoundly loving. My family was profoundly loving, but I didn't know that that was going to be the case two weeks prior. Yeah. So it's good for men to ask the question, what if? What if the Lord was calling your life and you had two weeks to live and you didn't know? Um, what will you regret? What will you wish that you did? Why live by the languishing of the past? Why live by the cloud that we see now in a quiet quitting and all these things that have become a cultural, psychological, spiritual thing lingering over us? Well, in the name of Jesus, I renounce it. Brothers and sisters, let's pray together right now in the power of the sacraments. And by, you know, if you will birthright in Christ, renounce the cloud, renounce the languishing and consider what is the step I'm called to give glory. And that's going to require commitment. It's going to require saying yes, not just to a moment in this great, exciting event that as awesome as that may be, make the commitment in your marriage and home Hmm. to make your home that kind of place. As we like to say uh, to a pastor, maybe who has awesome people gathered for an hour and a half parish council or whatever it may be, I've often said, pastors, it'd be great if you said, I'm so glad that you are gathered here today. I appreciate your gifts. You're making Hmm. a difference. When's the last time you spent this much time talking and praying with your family? Because if you haven't, we're here robbing from them. Yeah, We're robbing from them because that's a hierarchy. And if we're not doing that, what do we ever hope to accomplish in our parish? If we're not exemplifying, emulating 
the gospel fully alive in our marriage and homes, what amount of any conversation any place else matters. Hmm. So I think there's a commitment. I'm going to enter in. And honestly, I'll say this. My kids would get this if they are here, and I get moved by it every time. But for a lot of us, it means bringing your family together and earnestly saying, I am not going to respond, but I want to be a better father. I want to be a better husband. Hmm. I've fallen short. I need your prayers. And I just want to hear you tell me how I can be a better dad. Yeah. Because I've failed you. I were moments of volatility. I am so sorry. There are moments I was inattentive. I'm so sorry. There are moments that I prioritize myself above you. I'm so sorry. There are wounds in you that I can't fix, but I love you so much. And I want you to know the father in heaven. And I want to, as imperfectly as representing God, let you know how much he loves you. And I want you, my imperfection, not to tarnish your sense of him. I want a good relationship. Please Mm -hmm. share with me. And I'm just going to be quiet and listen. I'm going to ask your prayers. I've done that at least two, three times over the last four or five years, Mm. even as recently as six months ago. And I think, what does it do? It's it's, it's like Satan can't contend with that. He can't contend with somebody who is showing your kids, first of all, sincerely that you are fallen and broken and you need God's grace. It gives them permission to deal with their brokenness Mm. as an occasion of blessedness. Is that not what we see on the altar? This is my body broken for you. The blessing comes through brokenness. So uh, another message to men is don't, don't be afraid of your brokenness. Turn it into blessedness by setting the stage and um, inviting those around you, this Trinitarian, that's the glue of the Trinity. Hmm. It's not just, it is positive, it's this vision, but it's also maybe begins with, let's reset the deck, let's reset the stage. I want to be better, pray for me, let's have this context. And that's where kind of the live it gathering guide sort of a tool for eight, nine years has become a phenomenal gift to us as a family and many other families to at least once a week of 40 plus discretionary hours that you have, how much time a week do families make to really eyeball to eyeball and cultivate this empathy that's the heart of love that John Paul II, you know, speaks of. You are listening to a very special program of Ignite Radio Live featuring Andrew Reinhardt's interview of Greg Schleter on the subject of fatherhood. To hear the full episode and other great episodes, go to IgniteRadioLive.com. And as always, we warmly welcome your partnership with this very important movement at ILoveMyFamily.us. Starting with that idea of the flea trying to jump out of the basically jump out of the jar and how like so much of the difficult experiences from our childhood have kind of almost like created a range for us, let's say. Mm. And we can't like break out of that without really the the intervention of others. As I've kind of like done my research and learned about the body and the wisdom of God's design, uh, honestly, like the Live It Guide has just made more and more sense to me. Mm. <laughs> uh, like I, well, the whole last season of Physically Spiritual was on kind of the interplay of of emotional health and spirituality and, and mental health issues. And um, one of the the big themes I tried to emphasize there was kind of the what's called the lateralization of the brain. Mm. That in God's design, we have kind of a dual processor in our head. We have this one side that's more of like a relational brain. It runs on attachment, love, and, and connection. And that's maybe the, the more fundamental piece that forms when you're really little, like before you can really think of things or, or understand concepts, you know, so that that kind of attachment love experience is happening all the way back when you're in your mother's womb, you know, when your kids are too young to, um, to be able to learn new ideas or, or even language. But then we also have this other side of the brain that's kind of like the data processor. And that side actually runs a little bit slower than the emotional side. And it's, it's important to realize as we're trying to maybe pray or, or learn, we have this, this really young part of our brain that runs on attachment, love, and emotional connection. Mm-hmm. And if, if that part doesn't feel safe and secure, mm-hmm. it actually kind of prevents the other side from working well. <laughs> it hijacks the whole system. Um, so like the, the Live It Guide starts with these family fun questions and then you get into the, then after that, this like level of sharing of what's the high point, what's the low point, or what's the victory and challenge, mm-hmm. uh, affirm somebody else, express a gratitude, uh, what was something meaningful in your life. Mm-hmm. And if you were to pick up the average self-help book about emotional health, 
Like you're pretty much checking the boxes that they would propose. Interesting. Of like laughing together, sharing mm-hmm. a gratitude, talking about something good that happened, something meaningful, reconciling with one another. Like you're basically going through the checklist of how to prime people for connection, mm. but then also how to like prime that other side of the brain, that data side, that thinking side, that contemplating side to function well. Because mm. you're, you're, you're entering a space of attunement. You're entering a space of, of emotional connection. You're entering a space of safety uh, by having those preliminary conversations. And I think we, uh, we struggle a lot in the church with things like meditation because we try to like jump right into it, mm. right? But it's always been a, 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 hist- a part of the tradition of prayer, of preparation for the prayer to spend time preparing for meditation. And I think based on contemporary science, we need to pull in the wisdom to understand how that thinking part of our brain works and to be able to address that that more foundational emotional side of ourselves, the physiological side of ourselves before we enter into the meditation. Mm. So the, the second big movement of the gather guide is then to get into the scriptures together mm-hmm. as a family and discuss them. Mm-hmm. But there's so much wisdom built into having this mm. preparatory phase um, where, you know, as you're designing it, you know, you didn't read any science textbooks about this stuff probably, nope. but you were just responding to what worked, mm-hmm. what you experienced in your life and your family and the wisdom coming out of the tradition of our Catholic church and through the, through other Christian churches as to, to how to, what works. Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess as I, as I'm sharing there, just wanted to pass sage-like the ball back validation, to validation, much appreciated from yeah. the sage Andrew Reidhart. But just thoughts on, um, I guess practically like where did this live at gather guide come from, um, in your own family life, in your own journey? Uh, and then, like, what's the experience of it been like in your home? Awesome question. And I, I am grateful for you validating, in a sense, how, how best of science, psychology, we see Catholicism embodying it in mm. different ways. Um, so the theme of all of this, I think, is we receive Holy Communion, but do we? Mm. We receive yeah. Holy Communion because if we really did— and of course, we're receiving Jesus and grace is happening, object, got that. But if we get it as a whole person, it's going to be cooperated with in our heart, mind, imagination, the holy community. Hmm. That there's a deep, dare I say, conjugal kind of intimacy in the Trinity that all those who receive holy communion, it's enough to make you blush, but the saints have written about this, that unite us in a certain way. So it begs the question, and you've heard married couples say this, it's easier for them to share their bodies than it is to share their souls. Yeah. What's being said there? That we don't have great guidance all the time of how do we connect this inner part of our lives. And there's a part that's always going to be just God yeah. by design. But is there a part, though, that's meant to be a fusion uh, that is unique with this person that is my wife and my family? And what does that take? Well, it takes, I think, certainly transparency and a willingness um, to be vulnerable, to, to share things from one's own self that's appropriate. We're not talking an Oprah Winfrey world gone crazy, which I do think interesting in another conversation. We see this over share everything world because there's an absence of doing it in a context to do it appropriately. It's in yeah. the human person to want to be known and to know. And so it's gone awry. It's gone haywire. It's gone crazy. And it doesn't result in greater intimacy. So there is an appropriateness to this. Yeah. And the context for that is marriage and family. And as you know, from our movement, there's a hierarchy. We didn't design any of this, you know, or we're wanting to be stewards of what the church has already revealed. Yeah. But the hierarchy is number one, God, personal. Secondly, spouses. They're like links in a chain. You got God, number one, spouses in a chain, then the children, and then the world. Well, you can't really give to your children if you're not building that foundation with your spouse. And you can't give to the world if you're not connecting to your kids. And a lot of people have that out of whack. More difficult for men. It's another conversation. But that's a portrait of strength. So the question then becomes, how do you create an atmosphere, not just a, a guide? The guide is good brothers whom you and I know have been involved mm-hmm. through the years have come to recognize that was great for 45 minutes, but now it's our culture. You know, in the five levels, another time, another place, there are five levels of this, but the ultimate level is living it 
that the way in which our inner home culture is wired is one of forgiveness, a big part of the Live It Gathering Guide also, apologies and forgiveness, clear the air right away so we can be about each other and do it sincerely. Um, but then it becomes a way of being attuned to one another and putting another before you. Now, have we accomplished that in the Schleter home with the youngest 17 and the oldest 24? Perfectly, no. Close to perfectly, no. But I think, not to compare, ahead of many, many others, and it's there. And I'll say that that some give witness to it in an exemplary way that helps the others recognize he or she is really putting others before him or herself. He's asking questions. So to be attuned and ask questions, so the live it guide becomes living it. Hmm. Like, am I looking at my wife and making time? So every time we'd be in the car, you can ask my kids, I would ask them to lead a prayer. I would lead a prayer after saying, hey, how are you doing? Like, what's going on in your life? Now, teen years, and the reason I haven't written the book is because I'm still living the book. <laughs> and I knew there was a lot to learn now that we're entering into kind of robust adulthood. Yeah. Um, but I do think there's a more difficult time, even in high school years. And the, the key is, do they get the compass? Do they get a voice? And are they learning how that is adapted into Trinitarian life? Um, but those elements from my childhood, high school, um, desiring meaningful connection, desiring the DNA of, of connection between people, um, where there is not just uh, I share and then I leave you, but a stewardship that's a key thing. I think Pope Francis, another conversation issues, but he's the pontiff. And one of the powerful things that he has articulated worthy of our connection is, is a sense of accompaniment. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'm not just sharing with somebody and leaving them. I am sharing with them in a sense of, I am journeying with you. I'm on a path with you. Um, so those, that, those aspects, I think, factored into, we need to do this in our home. We need to help forge this. And so our two oldest sons at one point, we had big family gatherings and we'd do this. We help them, other families. We have something called core community of couples who want to be forged in this over four or five months. Once a month, you're part of that. There's a couples gathering, there's a family gathering, and they're doing the lit gathering guide. It's kind of a robust context to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, Joseph and John Paul, when they were under the roof, were leading this among their peers. I didn't say a thing or contribute anything to their leadership of that. They had anywhere from 20 to 60 kids in the house leading their own lit gathering, which to this day, now it's four or five years later, they've been out of the house. John Paul's a senior in college. Joseph's his music Damascus thing. And But people speak very fondly, kids, this is key, of the delight once a week. They'd struggle with sin. They'd struggle with stuff in the you know their school and their culture and environment. But once a week, they would look forward to coming here, our home, and and hear, be heard, and to hear and to interact and process. It has had a profound effect in a number of their lives and, quite frankly, been a catalyst for some of them, missionaries, Catholic missionaries in various mm-hmm. places, priesthood, religious life uh, in those ways. So again, it's just, I think, holy community flowing from holy communion, and it's a way of uh, once a week having a taste of that. And by yeah. the way, Satan doesn't want that to happen. Yeah. Devices can be divisive, <laughs> and it takes a dad— to have audacity. I mean, this is the hardest thing. It's to say, is this a good thing? Am I aware that I'm kind of clumsy and awkward because I haven't inherited how to like, okay, what, we're bringing our family together to, kids are going to think it's quirky. Better to start younger, by the way. But when they're in high school, we've seen it happen well, where a dad says, all right, guys, I've never done this before, but I want you to set aside, let's look at the clock, schedules, okay, Wednesday, 7 to 7.45, set everything aside, and let's just together get to know each other a little better. Let's spend time and really kind of take time. Keep it real. Keep mm-hmm. it organic. To have the audacity to do that, God will honor it. And we say put a flag in the sand, but it does take a first audacity to set up an evening. And you know, think about anything else you could do with discretionary time and ask the question, what was the benefit? Think about the last week. You know, of all the time commitment that somebody made with a discretionary time, what benefit did it have in building up relationships in the home and what's more important, this is going to accomplish that. They're going to walk away from this and say, that was really a cool thing. We'd like to do this in parishes. Like mm-hmm. we picture before, say, a, a Saturday evening mass, like two hours before a mini retreat where families would sign up and we lead them through this. When we've done that, they love it. Yeah. These are good, solid Catholic families. You know, they pray the rosary, they, they, they go to mass, and invariably to the man, to the family, when we facilitate them at their table with their family, experiencing the Live It Gathering Guide, like, that was awesome. Like, that was really amazing. But what they need is kind of, I think, a mentoring continuity, know that others are doing it. Honestly, I think this could be a secret weapon for parish revival. 
You are listening to a very special program of Ignite Radio Live featuring Andrew Reinhardt's interview of Greg Schleter on the subject of fatherhood. To hear the full episode and other great episodes, go to IgniteRadioLive.com. And as always, we warmly welcome your partnership with this very important movement at ILoveMyFamily.us. So for the audience, the, the Live It Guide is basically this. You, you get together with your family or with a small group. You do some fun questions, then some life kind of catch-up, touch-based questions. You pray together. You read the scripture, reflect on the scripture together. And then sometimes you might leave with some commitments to changing your life together. It can be done in as little as a half hour. Heck, I've been in it where it's gone over two hours before, where people really get into the conversation. Um, my wife and I have been in a Bible study with another couple for years, and we use the Live It Guide as the mm. format um, to do this together because all our kids are little. Um, but the, um, so that's just, so you can find that at ilovemyfamily.us. And I want to just make that clear and obvious for everyone to, to get to it. But I love what you said about the, the Eucharist or communion and it, it really working in our lives. I think this is one of the, the biggest issues in the church that we don't like to talk about mm. is we have this very like exalted sacramental theology and we have a lot of people receiving sacraments, but it, it often, I beg, I wonder like, why aren't these sacraments having a more profound effect in the people's lives who are receiving them? Mm. And I think part of the answer is, well, you don't know what they would be like without them. <laughs> mm. So, so the sacraments are having an effect in people's lives, but, mm. but the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. Like all the grace that created the universe in a moment is in that host. Like all the power. And we eat that. Some people eat it every day, every week, even once a month. And it begs the question, like, why doesn't that power change us more? Like, why isn't every saint as holy as Tres of Lisieux or Padre Pio or Mother Teresa? And it comes down to this kind of obscure idea in our theology of, of basically that the sacrament has a definitive effect but for the Eucharist, for example, the definitive effect is that bread and wine become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. So that's on the altar. But me receiving the grace, that, that's a different effect. That's, that's my subjective opening my heart to receive what the Lord's offering to me. right? And this happens by entering into the liturgy, by the witness of the holiness of the priest. But it's also largely affected by the holiness of my own life. And so there's a reality where... Uh, we're, we're making the sacraments impotent in our life subjectively if our lives don't correspond to the sacraments we receive, mm. right? So what we experience at the mass together should in a sense, think of like a, like a, at the beginning of a, maybe a, an acapella group singing a song, they have that like pitch, that tune fork mm. and everyone gets the first note. Well, in my mind, when we go to mass mm. together, that's like the church hitting the pitchfork. Great analogy. Then we all sing together a bit, and we're then supposed to go home and keep the music going, right? So what we're doing at home isn't just like, we, well, we just act out the mass in our house, but, but what we're doing at home resonates with the logic of the sacraments, right? So, so the communion that we receive on the altar, our ability to, to receive that grace and to live that grace in our life individually is affected by how much we're living communion in our home, with our families, with our friends, mm -hmm. at our workplace, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So the Live It Guide, I think, is a great tool for that to happen, right? For that, that sort of sacramental tone to resonate in, down into the details of our family life. I agree. Yeah. It does take audacity. Again, I can't say it enough. It takes, mm -hmm. right now, somebody seeing this, asking the question, do I desire to take the top off the flea container? and envision how could our home be. We have evaluatives, actually. You know, you've been on the Mission One Retreat where it's Kingdom Alive Personal, Marriage, Family, World, and in the Kingdom Alive Personal, they're like 15 questions, and we rate ourselves zero to 10. They're good indications, not meant to beat up, but meant to bless, because on a scale of zero to 10, here's the beauty, and you kind of alluded to this, God provides everything for us to be a 10. Or as Ralph Martin says in his book, Fulfillment of All Desire, there's nobody in heaven who's not a saint. So we have the gift of every struggle and every challenge 
right now to recognize the motive, the purpose, why we exist is to become saints. And God gave us marriage and family to do that. If we're conscious of that, the Living Gathering Guide is an occasion to say this is a, at least a step. And I think families, they're all amazing things. People do. We've just seen great success with this. Mm. But it takes a dad. Maybe it begins with that apology thing, by the way, mm. and clearing the stage and saying, I am not perfect. Yeah. And I want to I want to serve you. And I want to be what God calls me to be. But we got to gather because God wants more for us. And um, I love to, I don't know if bragging is the right word. I'm very proud of each of my children and their success that others in the world would say is quite amazing. I could go through each one and really kind of like amazing successes each one has in particular areas. And they would tell me, people will tell me this from around the country. People will tell me different things that each one are doing. What our kids would say and what I would say is that's worship. Hmm. Like they're worshiping God and recognizing now we're flawed, right? I don't want to paint them as angels. They're working it out, but they get this, that when you foster this sense of worship in the home, which is why the Hebrews were set free from Egypt, which is why we exist is to worship God. When that becomes a way of life, a mindset and a heart set, you don't run, you don't perform music, you don't write the great thing or, or speak with excellence because it comes back to you. You do it because God gave you a gift to give him glory. Hmm. If nobody else sees it or hears it or experiences it, it's still giving God glory. That's the intent. That's the motive. And that, you know, the Livic Guide fosters that kind of excellence for academics, for athletics, for um, every other area of one's life. When one gets this, every other area of the life is going to flourish. And oh, by the way, because it's Trinitarian, you're helping each other attain that. Hmm. And you're an occasion. What's beautiful for Steph and I to see now as the youngest is 17 and the oldest 24 is with regard to parental guidance or correction, we don't need to say much of anything because they are occasions for each other and they do it better and better. Hmm. There is wounds that are being healed among themselves and things that have been said, and they become incredible iron sharpening iron and encouraging. And, and they surpass us, quite frankly, in the ways in which they speak and the way peers can speak mm-hmm. um, in our under our roof. I mean, it, it's a tremendous gift to me to validate that this Catholic faith that we have in every respect is not this ethereal, I think this, you think that. No, it is a potent, real, authentic encounter with our nature and God that will only result in the best version of ourselves. And I want to be around people who are about that. I mean, humbly, it's kind of selfish, our mission. I want to be surrounded by people who want to be the best version of themselves and are going to want to structure that and, oh, by the way, have the audacity to make the commitments to do that, Hmm. where they're going to see the result a year from now, 10 years from now, in eternity, and look back and say, this would not have been had we not said yes. And maybe that's the appeal to those watching is, I love my family.us. Can you commit this week to doing the Live It Gathering Guide? and open yourselves to the grace that God wants to pour into your relationships and have an in- intuition that imagine if your home could be that kind of place. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the most challenging but beautiful lines of the scriptures by their fruits, you will know them. Mm. Um, and that, I know that's one of the hardest things for parents to face, but also I think one of the glories mm. uh, and affirmations the Lord gives us um, in, in this real concrete fruit of life. Um, Greg, thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Thanks for this conversation. You are listening to a very special program of Ignite Radio Live featuring Andrew Reinhardt's interview of Greg Schleter on the subject of fatherhood. And as always, we warmly welcome your partnership with this very important movement at ilovemyfamily.us.